And we are back for another week of talking about the best sport on the planet and the the only sport that's more real than, well, all the other sports because we all we all know all the other sports are uh, fixed and paid off by the by the gamblers and the betters in Las Vegas. I mean, it's all predicted. That's why you know pro wrestling is the only true sport. Mm-mm. My name is Annalise. This is Anne and Emily Wrestle Podcast. And descending from the rafters is my tag team partner, the greatest heel of all time, the Vicar of Doom, the Reverend of Destruction. It is Emily the Raven. Hello, it is I. And we're going to kick off today with the least anticipated, least asked for return to professional wrestling. <sighs> Rick Flair is making an in-ring return. Oh no. Yep. I I'm blocking. I have just been like blocking this out of my mind. <laughs> 73 years old, Rick Flair is making an in-ring return. There's a pretty decent video of him training with Jay Lethal, which, you know, again, as far as training partners go, you're not going to do better than that. And apparently, and I watched some of it, he looks okay for someone who's 73. And fine, May Young wrestled into her 80s, but that was May Young. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess you could say the same, well, it's Ric Flair, but you'll never guess. You never guess who is coming out of retirement to face Ric Flair. Who is it? It's Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Oh. Okay. Now, for those of you who don't know, I'm a big stan of Flair and Steamboat matches in the 80s. They were glorious. They were very good professional wrestling, very psychological, very well-paced matches. Like the Flair and Steamboat never had a bad match. The two of them are about to shit all over that for a payday, and I don't blame them for wanting the payday. But it's never going to be Flair and Steamboat from the 80s. Emily, is there anything that can save us from this unasked for nostalgia trip that literally no one wants to see? Um, don't watch it and pretend it doesn't exist. <laughs> yes, but is there anything great going on right now in professional wrestling that could save us from this horror show? Oh, well, certainly if you if you just cleanse your mind of that imagery and then let your mind begin to fill with a different dragon, an American dragon. Ooh. And then a man who is who is angry, dressed all in black, fueled only by a thirst for blood. And then their young apprentice. Mm-hmm. And then an older, wiser British man who oversees all of it. I'm talking, of course, about Blackpool Combat Club. <laughs> it's the best thing right now. And oh my God, the promo and the pull apart brawl, and then the end of Rampage this week between. The Blackpool Combat Club, also Kingston, Ortiz, and Santana, and the Jericho Mm. Appreciation Society. Mm -hmm. 
for someone who is actually seemingly ageless and timeless, because instead of being the same person, every single thing he does, Chris Jericho reinvents himself, redoes his moveset, puts himself into a better place to continually be relevant and successful. Holy shit. Um, yeah, I'm still not a big fan of everything that Jericho Appreciation Society has done, but this is perfect, and I cannot wait, and everything about this was fine. And then Jericho trying to sow dissension between uh, uh, Kingston and the rest of the group, and trying to be like, well, didn't you, di- didn't you call Brian Danielson a prick? Kingston turns to Danielson and says, you are a prick. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> And Danielson just being like, yeah, sure, why not? Yes. Oh, I loved everything about this. I loved I loved the no selling of the dissension. I loved I loved Moxley saying, No, we're not doing that that stadium stampede sports entertainment crap, which thank you. I'm I know other people really like the stadium stampede matches and they have their place. Cinematic matches definitely have their place, but I would prefer never to see the Blackpool Combat Club in a cinematic match. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're getting anarchy in the arena at double or nothing between these 10 men. And I, I got to say, it is really great to see 2.0 formerly ever rise on a pay-per-view because they have been one of my favorite acts in professional wrestling for the last three years always almost always playing jobbers and now they've been elevated and they're going to be on a pay-per-view card and i i'm i'm here for it i'm very much here for it they're so good and so much fun um that's the first thing i'm excited about um a little annoyed that wheeler yuda isn't a part of this match Mm. and i'm a little annoyed at how much attention was paid to Danielson getting his leg stuck uh, in between the uh, ramp and the ring on Rampage this week. Um, But I think they'll play that up in the psychology of the match. How much are you loving all of this right now? Oh, it's just amazing. It's so perfect. Um, I I just, I don't know. Just watch it. If you're not watching it, just go back and (laughs) see see it unfold and um just be amazed at how good it is now here's here's the thing do the heels win this and continue the feud because mm. i feel like and we'll talk about this next week when we do our double or nothing predictions i i feel like this has a lot of fire and there's a lot of really great matches uh tag team and singles matches that can be put on between the BCC and um, the the Jericho Appreciation Society. So I really feel like this feud has legs and that this shouldn't be a blow-off, which means, to my mind, the heels need to go over. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So, but I'm, I'm excited for it anyways, and it's going to be in anything, it's basically an anything-goes match of violence, and so it should be fantastic. And, you know... There are nine people in this ring I still care a great deal about. And there's Jake Hager. Mm, 
I just keep forgetting he exists. <laughs> well, it's really easy to forget that he exists because he's both a charisma and a wrestling vacuum. So, uh, <laughs> and Jake Hager, if you ever listen to uh, to our podcast and you hear me saying these things about you and you want to yell at me on Twitter or block me or whatever, that's fine. Um, we're not coming after you for your really stupid, terrible, hateful political beliefs. We're coming after you because you're boring. Just so we're clear about that. I mean, if you want us to come after for your political bullshit and yelling at a teenage girl about about climate change being a hoax, I mean, we can do that. We can definitely come after you for that. But you're just boring. Okay? Your, your leader has basically the same stupid political views you have. We love Chris Jericho. So it's not a political thing, Jake. It's just you suck. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Get better. Be interesting. Do something. Do something that makes me care about your character. Because right now, I don't even want to see you lose. I just don't want to see you. You and Baron Corbin are the same thing. Oh, wow. Only Oof. Baron, Cor only Baron Corbin has a convincing finisher, though. Uh I, I was just burned witnessing that. I just felt the, <laughs> the fire. Yep. <laughs> Oh, but this is definitely a Reese's peanut butter cup situation of chocolate and peanut butter, and it's going to be so good and taste so, so good. And I hope they keep it going until All Out. I think they can have... That's where I think that they wanted to do it, and the BCC wanted to get their win back. That's where you could do a cinematic match. Like, no, you can't have it. You can't, you can't have us unless you do it in our match. And I think that is where we could have the cinematic match, and then I'd be okay for it. Um, all mm. right. So that's that's that, that's definitely cleansed my palate of the awfulness of Ric Flair and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat coming back. And also, I'd like to note that we're recording broad daylight again. Ugh, so that's weird. harsh. It is. It is. Um, don't don't we like don't we like vaporize in sunlight or something? Oh, I know I do. I mean, thankfully uh, it's been storming here today, so it's pretty gray. It was out. storming here this morning, and it's now daylight again. And it's also daylight for a promotion that we were pretty interested in, but at the same time we were pretty like, um, well, this is going to be a problem. But apparently, it's not going to be a whole lot of a problem because apparently, Tessa Blanchard is no longer a part of Women of Wrestling. But she has not been fired yet either. This came from two days ago. Sean Ross Sapp over on Fightful Select. Um, Tessa Blanchard uh, has had issues with Women of Wrestling. And this goes back as far as January. Specifically, they were told that Tessa Blanchard was delivered that a planned January tryout was canceled due to COVID. So not only is Tessa Blanchard a racist, she also denies COVID. Um, after she went home and refused to perform for Impact for months because of COVID, now she's denying COVID. Um, is she denying COVID or is... Because I... The article that I read hmm. said that she asked for the tryout to take place over Zoom instead, mm -hmm. and okay. that and that they. So I don't. I'm not. I'm assuming. I'm, just, I'm assuming Sean Rossap is not saying she's denying COVID, but I'm just guessing from what's being written here. Um, but also that uh, 
a large part of it was that um I'm I'm looking at this is that uh sorry one source we spoke to said things have gotten off bad between David McLean and Tessa Blanchard because he was constantly on her side for years, even through multiple uh, controversies, even after the tapings were told the company one email went out informing staff and scheduled early June tapings were postponed due to a positive COVID test. Um, sources within the company said that WoW was even able to lure back some people uh, that swore they'd never work with Blanchard again, only to see more of the same. One said that the attitude was chalked up to passion among higher-ups. And so um, we noted last week when Fightful would inquire with WoW talent and staff, they would go silent when Tessa Blanchard was mentioned. After the story was published, multiple, multiple reached out to us to say that it was in, indicated then there could be legal recourse between the two sides uh, and we're concerned about the possibility of being involved. In that. So that's why a lot of this stuff has not been like fully played out. But um, not to hate on women of wrestling, but you knew what you were getting into when you decided to sign Tessa Blanchard. Yeah, and I just, I've been confused about that from the beginning because I really, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I know the, I know, I know that when there are so many, you know, reports out there on her behavior that seem corroborated by other wrestlers that, yeah, sure, maybe there wasn't any kind of formal investigation done. I don't know if there was or if there's even money to do something like that in, you know, the world of independent wrestling. But mm -hmm. I just, you know, knowing that it was out there, I didn't understand why they were going ahead with Blanchard. And it seems like, you know, at least some of the allegations were about bullying some about racist bullying some about bullying in general but i think that this behavior kind of shows that you know she does act like a bully when she doesn't get her way like you know this yeah so you know i would like to see women of wrestling hopefully go in a different direction and not be involved with anyone uh, shady or abusive or, you know, racist. Um, it's, and, it's, I, it ha I have emotions to succeed eventually. Yes. Yeah, I really do. And I really want them to succeed um, especially. And, you know, that's the thing, like before, you know, years ago, before anything came out about Tessa Blanchard, I was really impressed with her as a wrestler mm -hmm. and ex excited to see her career. And then it's like, oh, okay, wait, this is, you know, this is someone who is actively being abusive to other wrestlers they're working with. Um, yep. You know, so, yeah, I'm not going to support that. Like, I loved her program with Sammy Callahan at Impact. Yeah, uh, I really did not like Eli Drake being unwilling to do inter intergender wrestling to put Tessa Blanchard over. Now, 
maybe Eli knew some of what Tessa was about. And that's the real reason why he refused to work with her and just wasn't saying it. I oh. don't know. I don't know. Ooh, that's, that's not possible. That's, that's not been that's not been reported. But Eli Drake seems like a pretty smart cookie. Yeah. And and maybe he just realized, you know, this is not a person I want to work with. And he covered it under, well, I don't believe in intergender wrestling for these reasons. It's not realistic. Blah blah blah. The same old Jim Cornette bullshit that gets trotted out about intergender wrestling. I mean, come on. Um. So maybe that's part of it. But. I loved Tessa's program with Sammy Callahan. I've watched all of it. It's really, really good. From Tessa losing the first match to Tessa building her way up to winning the Impact title and then winning the Impact title. And then just, you know, in, in what were a really great series of promos and matches, and Tessa being presented as a badass, but also um, Sammy being very much like hey you want to be treated like one of the guys we're going to treat you like one of the guys and here you go um so lots of it was just you know really good and really smart Mm. and then all the stuff about tessa started coming out and then she no showed impact forever which was terrible i mean just Mm. like Mm. all the things that she was doing just professionally just really pissed me off and so i hope you know, and and we believe that everyone can be rehabilitated. Everyone can get better. Forgiveness does exist. Yeah. But Tessa has never owned up to what she has done. She has never taken any responsibility for her actions or her words. And I think that until she does, there's no way forward for her. She has to actually take some responsibility for herself and her refusal to do that. And then her continued poor behavior with this new promotion or with this returning promotion, actually, because that's what it is. Yeah. Um, I, I hope that they just get rid of her and I hope there's not just a whole lot of legal issues, keeping them from, from doing it. They're worried about breach of contract stuff because again, Tessa would be stupid if she didn't put certain things into her contract, knowing that more stuff about her was going to be coming out of the woodwork. So they might be mum on a lot of the stuff for those reasons. But oh, I just I feel sick having been a fan of Tessa Blanchard's. So mm-hmm. all right, we had to deal with that because yep, yeah, um, and it is. It is important because this this promotion should be great. Mm-hmm. Like I, I really hope it's going to be great. But I want to talk about another promotion, and this isn't in the notes. But did you see that OVW, Ohio Valley Wrestling, the former, uh, the 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 former um, feeding ground for WWE, is going to have a Netflix deal? Really, I did not see that. Yeah. So, and like I said, so much happened that I kept I uh, kept putting out. So, OVW, Netflix. Um, a reality show. I believe so. Okay. So. This is interesting. Well, I mean, this could be awesome if it's, like, showing, like, wrestlers, like, you know, people training to become wrestlers or so. I mean, that would be awesome. But I mean, I don't know what it's actually about. 
Yeah, so it's great because OVW is one of the most important promotions of the early 2000s. But yeah, OVW is going to be the subject of a reality show. This is a report coming from, again, Fightful Select being reported uh, by WrestleTalk. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for it. I kind of wished, you know, and again, we I just said Jim Cornette bullshit talking about intergender wrestling. But as far as, like, how to how to do promos, how to structure match psychology. Jim Cornette is and 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 knowledge of wrestling history. Jim Cornette is one of the most knowledgeable people in the business. And OBW in the two thousands was great under him. So I'm really hopeful this promotion like does good stuff. And yeah. the Netflix deal is is really lucrative because more professional wrestling is good for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, really, Netflix does reality shows really Really well, well, I think, compared to, like, I think sometimes their scripted shows have some issues with pacing. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Cowboy Bebop. (laughs) Cowboy Bebop. There's just some stuff with, like, timing and pacing that it seems like overall Netflix struggles to get right on a lot of their scripted shows, but they don't Mm -hmm. have that issue that i've seen in a lot of the reality shows that i've watched which i haven't watched a ton but i mean the ones i've watched have been really good and um so yeah so this could this could be really awesome yep and speaking of wrestling in weird places (laughs) that's that would be a good a good name for a for a promotion for a show (laughs) well um one of the best things from the start of the pandemic is back at the start right before the pandemic started in uh 2020 over two years ago now wrestle talk released a second channel called parts fun known parts fun known Unlike Wrestle Talk, which basically covers the news and the day-to-day goings on in professional wrestling, uh, Parts of Unknown is meant to be creating evergreen content. So they do video essays on whether someone is actually good and explaining things. They did an excellent uh, explains video on Alistair, now Malachi Black's uh, character. So so good that um, Malachi Black tweeted that Lori Blake nailed it 100% in that particular video essay that he like his research was spot on. Yes. That's exactly what I was doing. Um, so parts unknown is one of my favorite YouTube channels. They also do a monthly Quizlemania stream with rounds like, um, uh, uh, guessing, uh, which wrestler are pictures of based on their nipples alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like I might be good at that. I don't know. Yeah, so uh, so many so many good things in parts for them, but they're bringing back the best thing they've ever done, and that is City British Wrestling, which is mm-hmm. a role playing tabletop wrestling game. So basically, think Critical Role, only way better than Critical Role. Sorry, Critical Role fans out there, but watching Dungeons and Dragons isn't that much fun. Watching people sit around a table roll dice for wrestling moves—that is fun. <laughs> Um, uh, watching the AEW wrestlers play Dungeons and Dragons during the pandemic was was pretty fun, though. Yes, if... <laughs> that would be fun. Um, so this 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 series will start um, 
uh, Adam Blompied again, Laurie Blake, Ollie Davis, Luke Owen, defending city British wrestling champion Lolo Brow, um, who is delightful. And seriously, I tweeted out uh, after WrestleMania that Lolo Brow's uh, quest for the CVW championship as the Denimatrix was the best story of 2020 of 2020 because it was uh, she's amazing it also is going to be joined by rosie nichols who is hilarious and completely wrong in every way she is go- <laughs> she's going to be playing a character called maple syrup the foreigner oh wow and it's going to be just it's going to be it, it's silly stupid wrestling tabletop game fun i the first episode is out today. We're recording this on Saturday, May 21st. And I would encourage you not just to go watch the current season, watch season one and watch all the one shots they did with with CBW meaning different things. It is so good. It is so good. These characters are so much fun. Um, and just, oh, wrestling is just great. It's just the best, okay? And then, you know, in a couple of hours, I'm going to talk about how anime is the best. But wrestling is really the best. <laughs> well, so, you know, there's like a there's there's like a cloud of best things and they're all mm-hmm. just kind of in there. Like... It's the nerdy shit that we love. That's the best. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. So, yeah, this is this is amazing. Please go to Parts of Unknown's uh, YouTube and their and their Twitter and please send them some love. Tell them we sent you. Um, and we've already gotten quite a bit of love from the Wrestle Talk family, both from uh, Pete Quinnell and from uh, uh, Social Media Abby, who runs their social media accounts. They're both uh, fans of ours, and we thank them so much for that. But we got more stuff to cover. Um, Stephanie McMahon is taking time away from WWE. Apparently, it is her choice. She said she's going to be focusing on her families. Uh, but Nick Khan is going to be taking over a lot of her duties and frankly, boo on that. Mm-hmm. It is just that, okay, whatever you might think of Stephanie McMahon on screen as an on screen character, that's fine. She never gets her comeuppance. She's a terrible heel, blah, blah, blah. Those are all valid criticisms. She walks around pr- pretending she invented women's wrestling as a character. <laughs> I get it. As a character, Stephanie McMahon has been pretty terrible since about the mid 2000s. But as an executive, she's been one of the best things in WWE, pushing for more women's matches and the women to be taken more seriously. And it's sounding like some of that's going to be going away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is that is bad. So this is her statement. As of tomorrow, I'm taking leave and absence from the majority of my responsibilities at WWE. WWE is a lifelong legacy for me. I look forward to returning to the company that I love after taking some time to focus on my family. Every bit of report of this is that this is legitimate. Steph is just taking time away for her family. This is not a punishment. She is not being reduced in role. This has been planned. She needs time off. To that we say... Thank you very much for the work that you try to do. We do appreciate you, Stephanie. We, we criticize your dad's company all the time because the product they put out sucks. But we know that you and Triple H are trying very hard to make it the best that it can be. And we appreciate that. We mm-hmm. wish you'd do a better job of it. Um. You know, the thing with Stephanie taking 
time away, like, you know, I just, I do wonder sometimes, like, and I mean, there's no way to know or or find out, like, what's actually going on in the upper level of WWE, um, both for the fans and apparently for the people that work there. It's gotten worse and more difficult to figure that out. But, you know, to your point about Stephanie and Triple H and, you know, how they have tried to shape the company, I I think back, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a time where Stephanie was writing a book mm-hmm. and she had, or WWE had trademarked some titles that people thought that, you know, were going to go into the book and she was really excited about it and sharing it her writing process on social media, which I found really fascinating. And I was really looking forward to reading it. And then she made an announcement where she said, okay, well, I actually can't continue or publish my book because my dad has to be able to write a book first. Mm. And so I I am not going to tell my story because too much of it involves him. And I just, you know, when, when that happened and I can't remember if she shared that on a podcast or how exactly she announced it. Um, but that, that was one of those turning points for me with WWE where I was becoming like more and more, um, just kind of suspicious about what what was going on there you know there there had been like that renaissance of well women women had finally stopped being called divas and things seemed to be changing for that division stephanie was writing that book um i don't know i just i just really have to wonder and i i hope that this time away you know is is good for what she wants and somehow she can return and have the career she wants and i i just i don't know i don't have any as you know i don't have any um faith or hope or (laughs) trust in wwe and i think that it should become broken up into several different companies which is probably like blasphemy for some people but this this thing with Stephanie uh, taking this break just kind of reminded me of that situation with her book, and I'm not saying they're at all related. It just it it just reminded me of like you know things that she's had to take a break from in the past. Mm-hmm. So here's here's a little bit of of more reporting from Fightful to put put people's minds at ease yes please. Uh, this, is not, this is not to say that wwe isn't being evil and subversive behind the scene but a couple of things um those that we spoke to said that while the while the news had has was a, was a surprise to many to many that it didn't come overnight and had been brewing for quite a while wwe mm. sources reiterated to us that, the, that it wasn't a marital issue and regardless fightful does not report on the personal relationships of subjects unless they speak on it publicly. Um, so Stephanie's apparently suffering some burnout is what I take away from that. That is not what they said. 
That is what I'm interpreting. When you work in these very high power, high stress jobs where you don't ever get to switch off, the burnout is going to happen, even if you love what you do, even if you believe very much in what you do. And I think Stephanie both loves what she does and believes in what she does. And she believes in the legacy that is supposed to be created there. And I also get the sense that both Stephanie and Triple H are just kind of biding their time right now. They they cannot possibly like the direction of their own company. And it's just so sad to me because here are people like, you know, still like in this prime, productive, amazing part of their lives with all of this experience and insider knowledge and skill and also innate talent that, you know, they've honed even more of their skill and they're just completely held back and stopped by you know the the older generation and control of that company and and you know stephanie and i i anyway i'm not gonna say anything else i just (laughs) it just really makes makes me sad yeah and i really really hope that stephanie gets what she needs out of this time off i hope she comes back refreshed and refocused and we do hope one day wwe won't suck that day is not here yet um but let's I, talk I don't about... believe I don't believe it's possible, but I it, I, it, I support yeah. you I support you in hoping that. <laughs> I don't believe it's possible either, but I'm still gonna hope. Okay. <laughs> so let's just continue on. I still refuse to watch weekly WWE programming. I am watching the pay-per-views. I am watching YouTube videos when I think they're interesting and relevant. But we surprisingly have not talked about something, even though it's been going on for two months now. And that's the build-up for punk versus hangman page coming at double or nothing yeah and that silence there is very telling because this is not anywhere near the top of our interests for AEW right now despite the fact that it's their top championship and it's cm punk the reason why this podcast got started in the first place yeah well i've I've spoken about, I, I talked about this in our episode, um, I think in January or maybe the end of the year, uh, where I have this kind of like pet theory of mine that the AEW World Championship belt brings out the worst tendencies in the person that holds it. And I. I believe we've seen that happening with Hangman more and more, who already has had that kind of struggle. And I think even the proximity to the belt and wanting to get it is st- <laughs> is starting to work on CM Punk. Um, you know, I think a good a good wrestling belt can kind of develop its own story and mythology, and that's the hallmark of a of a good wrestling company as well that that can happen. So that's that's been my sort of working theory um and where you know where it goes like what happens to the belt I think will maybe con- confirm or deny that theory but it definitely there there's it definitely has a little bit of a life of its own. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I, I think this story has been built up a bit better because Punk's made it very clear what he's after. He's after the top championship. I'm kind of hoping, since the AEW faithful still seem to be very much behind Paige, I'm kind of hoping for a CM Punk heel turn for because as much as I like him as a truth to power babyface, I like Punk as a cool heel even more. <laughs> I'm 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 sorry. I like cool heels. Just and you know, Adam Cole, yeah. baby. Yeah. Actually, I'm not sorry. So fuck you all. <laughs> <laughs> I will chant for the heels. I'm 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 that Mark. Um. I mean, I I do too. If it's the right, you if know, it's it, you know, if I like, if I like what I like, <laughs> that's <different>. yep. <laughs> and I, I think this will be a great match, Double or Nothing. I think that them using each other's finishers recently on on TV has been great. They've been doing a good build. It's just not as exciting as everything else going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Owen Hart Cup tournament has been great. The uh, the surprises showing up. Although I think that they were expecting a different Johnny to show up for <laughs> Samoa Joe's Joker. Yeah. It wasn't Johnny Gargano. It was Johnny Elite. And I like I like John Morrison. Uh, actually, John Hennigan. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like him a lot. I think he's terrific. But I would have much rather seen Johnny Gargano versus Samoa Joe. Yeah. So just just you know the reality of the situation. Um I and so this will be a great match. It'll be a great main event. I hope that they can do a good build to it, but all of Punk's feuds have been better than this feud. And Hangman is still lacking a defining feud for his reign. He really hasn't had he's had memorable matches but not memorable feuds. The Danielson feud was memorable because of Danielson running through the Dark Order. It wasn't memorable for anything that Hangman did. It was memorable for the two matches, but not the story. The matches were great, but the overall story kind of faltered for me. The feud with Adam Cole was much better from a storytelling perspective, I thought. But I also didn't feel satisfied by that because Hangman kicked out of the last shot. Now, they covered that up by Cole having the knee pad up for the last shot super kick, so it wasn't the full effect. But I'm a big believer in protecting top finishers, and the last, the last shot uh, 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 knee to the head is such a good, convincing match ender that even with the knee pad up, no one should ever kick out of it. I was really upset by that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, just, I just feel like I feel like this title reign has been drifting. What do you think? I think it just matches Hangman's, you know, story since the inception of the company of, you know, him often being lost, kind of struggling with his place his identity his relationships with others and i you know getting getting to the point of getting the belt was a big a big part of that but 
it just goes to show that you can achieve something and it doesn't solve your problems. And so for me, that's kind of the story that I'm seeing that like he achieved his goal, but he's still inside has to like work through things and just getting the belt isn't enough. Do you know what I mean? And I I think, so I, I think the story is much more psychological in the sense of like actual psychology and kind of fits his persona of like being an anxious millennial and having you know yeah so (laughs) i think I, i think it's just possibly a subtler longer term story still just because that's kind of his style I don't know. That's just my interpretation. Yeah, I think he's going to have to exercise the Kenny Omega ghost when Kenny comes back, or yeah. fall to or fall to Kenny. Yeah. And at this point, I'd like to point everyone back to Parts of Unknown and say, please go watch the excellent and it is quite excellent uh, video essay that Tempest did on Parts of Unknown about why Hangman Adam Page is the perfect champion for the day and age that we live in. Yeah. Um, basically all about him being a millennial cowboy. Um, and we've talked a lot in the show about WWE releases. We haven't talked about AEW's much better version of this, because quite a few AEW wrestlers have not had their contacts, contracts renewed. Not released, but not renewed. Yeah. And as a lot of these contracts were signed for initial three-year deals, and as the company has grown better talent has become available because WWE stopped hoarding wrestlers. So certainly some of these people weren't going to get renewed for various reasons. Uh, Jack Evans recently talked about how having his AEW contract made him lazy and he wasn't surprised that he wasn't getting a renewed contract. Um, uh, Joey Janela, who I don't really care for. I think he's a better promoter than he is a wrestler. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Joey, if you're listening to this, that's how I feel about you. I don't think you're a bad wrestler. Didn't get his contract renewed, and is just going back to doing the stuff he was doing before. He'll be fine. Um, What kind of doesn't work for me, though, was AEW and Stu Grayson couldn't agree to a deal. And I think that Stu Grayson is just a really integral part to the Dark Order. And I kind of am upset about this. And I was wondering if you had thoughts or feelings about this particular issue and this particular wrestler? You know, I really don't. Uh, I was surprised, but I really don't have any strong opinions about it. So, um, well, there it is then. (laughs) I mean, I, I'm not trying, I'm sorry to be disappointing. I just don't, no, but I, I, I think I think you just explained the issue is that a lot of these wrestlers who are who are not having their contracts renewed is good reason for them not to be renewed. Now, sometimes Tony Khan has expressed that reason poorly, as in the case with Big Swole. Yeah. But here it was a matter of AEW wanted to resign Stu Grayson. Stu Grayson wanted to resign with AEW, and they just couldn't agree on a number that made both sides happy. 
Yeah, and unfortunately, that's that's a, that's a reality that you know is going to factor in more and more because you know we're going to see other people have their contracts come up for you know renewal and remains to be seen what will happen (laughs) and to the fans who are like oh i hate that it's all about money this is what people are doing for a living and they have a limited clock in which they can make the most money to pay for the rest of their lives yeah so i don't fault Stu grayson or cody or anybody else who's left because they couldn't agree on a deal making a choice what they thought was in the best interest of their negotiating position to be able to get the most out of what they can while they have value. And that is really, really important. I know we're fans. I know sometimes fans don't think about these things, but we really should think about those things. I hope that down the road, Stu Grayson and AEW can come to an agreement in a couple of months, and then maybe Stu Grayson will be back or that Stu Grayson ends up somewhere else. He's very talented. Yeah, he should do fine. He should do fine anywhere he lands. Um, but speaking of someone who's not going to have any trouble getting money in <laughs> in in two years, MJF is apparently not working us when he talks about possibly going to WWE in 2024. Every indication. Every report that is coming out is that this is not a work. This is MJF putting uh, putting some straight shooting into a lot of his promos, even on air, on Dynamite, referencing 2024. So apparently what's going on is that both MJF and Tony Khan agree that MJF should be getting paid more. But in order to pay MJF more, Tony Khan wants more years on his contract because just giving him a pay raise would set a really bad precedent. Mm, Yeah, that makes sense. MJF, however, doesn't want more years in his contract because that completely nerfs his negotiating position because he really is planning on playing both WWE, AEW, and anyone else off of each other when he uh, goes for his contract negotiation in 2024. And to be fair to MJF, that is the smartest thing you can do. For us fans who want MJF to stay in AEW, hi, I do not want MJF to leave AEW ever. I want him to be an AEW lifer. Yeah. We again have to remember what we just talked about with Stu Grayson is MJF probably only has 30 total years to really make the most money and he's got to go for it and this is this is what he's doing that's in his best negotiating position and I don't blame him for it and I also think it's a great way to continue to get heat as a heel because nothing will piss the AEW fans off more than MJF talking about oh yeah I can't wait to go wrestle the Miz mm-hmm. yeah he's brilliant he's really using it Mm-hmm. He, he's really using it both as a negotiation strategy and <laughs> as a really excellent addition to his heel heat. It's, yeah, he's brilliant. Just now, Tony, I, Tony, just give him all the money. <laughs> just give I it. firmly believe, I firmly believe Tony Khan's going to have to back up a truck to keep MJF. But I also believe he's worth it. 
I believe is. this. I, be, I believe this is a once in a generation talent. Someone yeah. who's going to be able to be be your top heel for a very long time. Um, and I don't. Again, I don't fault MJF. And to the people who are like, "Oh, it's greed." It's not greed. It is good business sense. You should right. get paid what you're worth. And don't worry, we're going to talk about that at the end of the show. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, come on. It's like, okay, yes. I, I I hate throwing out the word entertainment since <laughs> it's so it's it's an important part of this though that ultimately you are entertaining people for a living and there's a lot of money to be made in that when you do it well both from advertising merchandising and you know ticket and and pay-per-view sales and so it it does make smart business sense when you have someone like this to do everything you can to pay them pay them well because they are making so much more possible for your company. Mm-hmm. So you know you, know, you gotta it, spend money to make money. <laughs> and there's a lot of truisms about the about the business aspect of this, but again, MJF is is doing he is the smartest pro wrestler right now. Yeah. He's just he's just the smartest of his generation. He's not he he's he works a safe, believable style. Yeah. He works a he reminds me of he reminds me a lot of um Ted DiBiase in the eighties. Oh yeah, I totally see that. As far as his in-ring style, super yeah. technical, super grounded, goes to the top when he has to, uh, not when he wants to. Just like everything that he does just makes me really, really happy to watch him. And also really, really happy to watch him get punched in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, he's the perfect heel. He does, it, he does it better than everyone else right now. And he might end up his career being the best heel of all time. That's, that's my current opinion <laughs> yeah. he is not yet but at 25 years old he's already better than so many of the classic heels that you can begin to mention right yeah um i don't think he's on he's on rick flair's ultimate heel level yet of the 1980s although rick flair is trying as hard as he can to be like the most hated person in the world um and not because he's coming back, but just for this dumb shit he says in his podcast. Yeah, but that, that's like that's go that's X hockey. That's shoot, that's shoot heat. We don't. <laughs> yeah, that's X Fox heat. Um, oh. So yeah, uh, MJF, uh, please stay in AEW, but also please do what's best for you, as you all as you should. Um, and you're better than us, and we know it. Mm-hmm. And we we support you, and. I'll I'll watch you no matter what, because um, I love everything you do. It's so good, so fucking good. It's so fucking enjoyable. Um, and speaking of something enjoyable, double or nothing has crept up on us. Yes, it has. It's really like just. Ah, can you believe it's next weekend? I have taken five days off of work. Now, one of those days from Memorial Day, so it was already scheduled off, but I am I am off for a nice, full, long weekend, and on Sunday next week, I'm going to be sitting down to some Indian food and watching some Double or Nothing and having yeah. a good old time doing it. That's um, awesome. And, and not only that, Forbidden Door is next month. I'm so excited. 
Oh, I'm so glad they haven't announced the Forbidden Door matches. So all we, all we can do is like salivate over the possibilities of all the things we could be getting with Forbidden Door. Um, I hope it is just straight up. I know people want to see other things. I hope it is just straight up AEW versus New Japan in every match. Yeah. And I hope that, that they do a whole lot more to further the New Japan stardom connection and bring over some stardom wrestlers. Because um, I would like to see, I don't know what everyone else wants to see. I want to see Kyrie Hojo, the former Kyrie Sane, have a match at Forbidden Door since she's back in stardom. That's what I would like. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, that would be awesome. Oh, this this is. I wish they would make this a two day pay per view. Um, oh my gosh, that would just be incredible. And I hope it opens up the door for uh, uh, AEW to to work um, Wrestle Kingdom. And I still hold out hope. And again, this is this is just me holding out hope. Looking at that picture of Scott Demore with the Thanos <laughs> gauntlet, just just a girl holding out hope. Scott Demore, dreams and wishes. Scott Demore with the Thanos gauntlet and every other company, but Impact is on there because he's got Impact to work with every company, including WWE. Mm. I, I I hold out hope for the future that our awesome wrestling universe will come true. Vince McMahon will be abducted by aliens. Nick Khan will descend into hell with the rest of the demons where he belongs. <laughs> And and, and 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 WWE will just become an old black and gold NXT. Wow. And then we'll see all the things we want to see. Um, <laughs> that's the hope that I'm going to hold out for. It's not going to happen. Uh, Vince McMahon's immortal, and uh, he's not going to get. He's not going to go anywhere. It's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, just the Forbidden Door, Double or Nothing. Just uh, it's going to be so good. And there's so much good wrestling. And we've been talking about mostly good wrestling for about an hour. And we had to talk about this. Um, I don't know how much of this you've been fo- you've been following. We had a much better idea for a main event this week. We were going to talk about Brian Zane and wrestling with regret, and you know that is a YouTube channel and how uh, and how really good evergreen content and and reviews from one man, one amazing man, is just you know a lot of fun and and makes our lives better, but. This week, and I'm going to be cobbling this together from lots of different places, mostly from Fightful Select. This week, it was not previously announced, but it was announced on air that the main event of Monday Night Raw was going to be a six-pack challenge to see who would face Bianca Belair for the Raw Women's Championship at at Hell in a Cell. In this six-pack championship or six-pack challenge, was Becky Lynch, Asuka, Nikki Cross, I'm not using her stupid name, Piper Niven, I'm not using her stupid name, mm-hmm. and the the uh, WWE Tag Team Champions, uh, Sasha Banks and Naomi. Upon this being announced, and it having been internally known for some time, this was all stuff that was that was known to be happening. Um, Sasha Banks and Naomi had real problems with the creative 
because what they were been what they were told, and only part of this has been confirmed, but enough of this is confirmed and enough of this has been spoken about that I'm happy to talk about all of it, was that Naomi was supposed to win the six pack challenge today, and she was going to be facing Bianca Belair. Sasha Banks was apparently supposed to win a qualifying match to face Ronda Rousey. So the women's tag team champions were going to be used to put over the Raw and SmackDown champions as opposed to having their own story focused on tag team wrestling. Apparently, when Sasha and Naomi were pitching the idea for them to be the tag team champions, it was about them wanting to have good stories and make the the tag belts mean something, make them actually be relevant. Um, and so WWE apparently does not think that's valuable. And they were specifically just going to be using this to put over their singles champions and not do anything of significance with their tag team champions. This led to Naomi and Sasha Banks having meetings with Vince McMahon, talking about the creative. And when they had expressed their concerns, they were not properly heard, apparently. And they walked in to uh, John Laurinaitis's um, office after Raw had started and after the match had been announced and said, we're not doing this. This is, these are not props. These are supposed to mean something. That's why we wanted them. And they put the belts on uh, John Laurinaitis' desk and left the building. No one is contesting that particular set of facts. Here's where it gets interesting. WWE has tried to argue that Sasha and Naomi didn't feel safe with two of the participants in the match. There's been no evidence of this. It appears they were trying to sow dissent between uh, uh, Sasha, uh, um, Naomi, and Asuka, and Becky Lynch. There's no evidence that either Asuka or Becky Lynch are unsafe workers. In fact, all the evidence of that is to the contrary. There's no evidence that Naomi or Sasha think that Becky or Asuka are unsafe workers. This was apparently their attempt to sow dissent uh, among the roster and get the roster to turn on Becky and Sasha. Um, There's been a lot of people who are saying this is all Sasha Banks and Naomi is an innocent bystander. There's, again, no evidence of that either. It appears that Naomi was completely in on this with Sasha and agreed that... In order for this, for in order for these belts to mean anything, these belts had to be treated on their own and not simply be used to put over the main the main titles, the the singles titles. Um, and there has been a long and steady critique of these championships and the way that they have been handled by WWE, which the fans asked for forever. We wanted women's tag team wrestling, but. The tag teams they have put out, they too frequently break up. They don't have proper stories. And they continue to use the, these belts as only a way to further the stories of the top titles, which, again, is what they're objecting to. So I have sourced this all together. And I'm going to pull up 
some of the stuff. Uh, there's more stuff coming on this. Um, yeah. They but jump have, in anytime. Yeah, because they, I've been following this, um, you know, because I care about both. You know, they would, they would be two people in WWE that I care about their wrestling and, you know, wish that I could be watching their careers. I mean, a lot of the women in WWE, that's true of. Uh, and <clears throat> since this has happened, you know, probably one of the most shocking things to me is that WWE pulled all of their merchandise and has stopped selling it. Patty. And it's that's like a hallmark of, I mean, I've talked extensively about how petty Vince is. And I mean, it's if you're a wrestling fan, you know, you're, fami- you're familiar with that. Um, but some of the reports I've been reading have talked about how this is an example of how there is even less ability for the wrestlers to have any influence at all in the storylines and that most of them don't have any and don't have any access or ability to even talk to people in creative according to um because i was actually reading about this last night and it sounds it it, it's you know reports coming out of the company so you have to take it with a grain of salt but it does seem to track with what's been going on with what we've seen and it's incredibly sad because you know these are again people that would be really good at uh getting some of their own uh creative control and influence in the ring and i don't know how much of it was a work uh or if all of it was a work but i think back to like uh, Naomi adding the um, glow lights uh, to the when when she had a women's singles belt, and mm-hmm. that created like a huge controversy supposedly in the company, and she was in trouble, and she had done it without like she paid for it herself and did it without permission. Um, and you know now this makes me think, huh, maybe that really was true and she really had gone out and done that um on her own uh to fit in with her character and her storytelling which she's really brilliant at and should just be allowed to do and now she's in a situation again with belts that um you know she can't put her personal touch on that wwe has just sees as meaningless you know i think the thing about being a prop is really telling and really true and i and my last my last thought on this for right now is that you know again tag team wrestling is not something that wwe takes seriously or treats well and i don't they don't i don't think they often do it well and that even influenced like my view of tag team wrestling which has really only been uh rehabilitated by watching AEW because even Mm -hmm. when I was watching like New Japan um, and other promotions I still couldn't really get into tag teams as much because I really had like some I call it like reading baggage because it's like how you read a match 
Um, so for me, I had like some baggage from <laughs> from my years of watching WWE, and it, it's just really a shame. And uh, and I'll end that statement with that's and again, this is a report. It is gossip, and I and I don't know where it comes from, but supposedly Vince said about tag team wrestling, why would I pay four wrestlers for one match? Mm-hmm. It sounds like him. It does sound like <laughs> I him. I don't know if he actually said it. And I don't like repeating things that I can't confirm. But it has that ring of truth that's hard to ignore. So, Well, here's, here's the reporting from Fightful that is putting down a lot of the rumors. Those close to the situation said that Naomi and Sasha didn't claim they didn't want to work with Becky Lynch or Asuka, though that was implied in WWE's statement, and those were the two women referenced. Instead, we're told that Sasha Banks and Naomi were angling to work with Nikki Cross and uh, Piper Niven at the pay-per-view, who had recently formed a tag team, which could be great. Except Mm -hmm. that they already boxed that up, and we'll talk about that some other time, I'm sure. The talent themselves hadn't heard uh, that Sasha and Naomi considered anyone unsafe until the statement was released. WWE Talent also got the statement on their internal talent app. Um, In regards to the pitch... uh, of Nikki and and uh, Piper versus Sasha and Naomi pay per view that was turned down. There was a pitch didn't said to have them interfere in the Naomi versus Bianca Belair match on pay per view, which was also turned down. We we're told that Sasha Banks and Naomi's issues were large uh, issues largely were concerns about the direction of their tag of their tag team and the division as a whole. Now, updated reactions from backstage. Um, Let me see if I can find the right one. However, one consensus among those we've talked to is that leaving during a show you were scheduled for before the segment is something that is likely to lead you to getting buried uh, throughout said show. One longtime WWE talent was quick to point out that not even Steve Austin's walkout was done in that fashion as he was gone well before the show in question. Another female talent indicated that they didn't see anything particularly egregious worth leaving the show over, but understands the creative frustration. Um, There were a ton of talent outside of WWE that reached out to us uh, with those that didn't watch Raw wondering if it was a work to quickly realize that it wasn't. One former WWE talent said they didn't even understand the situation, but that it took balls to do what Sasha and Naomi did. A female wrestler in another company was surprised with the uh, was surprised with the pay scale at what it was in WWE right now, and the two would deem would would deem a creative situation worth walking out on. Other reactions were mixed between someone needed to do something uh, like this to make a stand, and echoed can't walk out during a show you're scheduled for sentiment. So people are generally in favor of the stance that Sasha and Naomi took, but they seem to generally believe that walking out during the show is actually a problem. And I agree with both those sentiments. However, walking out during the show is what's making this the thing that it is. And I think that's, I think that while that is definitely unprofessional and WWE is frankly within their rights to freeze their contracts and punish them for that. um, I still think Sasha and Naomi are right. And I yeah. think they're fucking heroes. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're in a situation where no one will listen to your voice and you've communicated 
every other way you can, then Mm -hmm. what other recourse do you have? Because you know talking isn't going to do anything because it hasn't. And, you know, they obviously refuse to listen to their talent. There's years, decades, (laughs) like, I mean, you know. They they did what they did what they had to do in order to uh, communicate their statement because they tried communicating every other way. Now, last night on SmackDown, in the most uncomfortable segment I have seen on WWE programming in forever, Michael Cole had to read a statement that he was clearly not happy with reading about. Mm. Uh, Sasha and Naomi being unprofessional, suspended, and definitely stripped of their champions, and now there would be a a tournament to crown the new women's tag team champions. There's only two existing tag teams left on the main roster. What tournament? When WWE tweeted this video out, first of all, the look on Pat McAfee's face throughout is like, I don't believe any of this is happening. I cannot believe you are saying these words, but I also know why you're saying... Pat McAfee looks angry and confused. Like, he seems to know, and Michael Cole also seems to know, that very much management is in the wrong, but also they have to do their jobs. And Vince is in their ears telling them what to do. Um, And again, that's just me reading faces, and that's pretty much everyone else reading faces. What is telling when WWE tweeted this out is you can look at the comments. The comments are all supportive of Naomi and Sasha. Everyone basically saying they stand with them, uh, saying what tag teams, um, pointing out that the merch has been pulled, etc., etc., etc. But if you look at the quote tweets, and this was my favorite thing. This is what I actually showed to Dia last night. None of these quote tweets all 3,280 of them, because another one just happened while we're talking about this, none of them that I've read are positive on WWE's side. Every single one of them is supportive of Sasha and Naomi. Mm. And, you know, first of all, kudos to WWE at WrestleMania putting two of your three champions on women of color. Congratulations. Good representation. Great. Yes, absolutely, that's a good thing. But if you're not going to treat them like champions and build up their titles and the story that you're telling with them and then use them as props to get two other women over, then you're not doing your job as a wrestling company. Mm. And it appears, Vince, no one is on your side. Now, we assume... That's we assume never that, stopped him. I know. We assume that, that Vince is listening to this podcast uh, because we know uh, he doesn't sleep and he must listen to everything that's out there. <laughs> so, Vince, when you listen to this in a couple of days, let us just <laughs> tell you, you done fucked up, boy. You done fucked up. You, you just lost two of your most popular superstars who are walking out on you because you didn't respect them as performers and you didn't respect what they wanted to do with the championships that they had. You done fucked the fuck up. Yeah. Well, and you really said it when you said that they were 
were like using Sasha and Naomi as props and Sasha and Naomi were complaining that the belts were props. And if that's how you treat the belt, then the people that hold it are treated that way as well. And that's really, really wrong on so many levels. And, you know, (sighs) yeah, nothing about this, nothing about this is good. And the reason why we're spending so much time on this is because everyone is talking about how sexist and racist this is. And let's be very clear. It is both sexist and racist. Yeah. If the tag champs were Natalia and Ronda Rousey, this would not be happening. Yes. And I've I've said it before that I, you know, if you're if you're not a very select mostly white male group in that company then and there are some exceptions to that but for the most part like the the treatment going on in this is a lot of misogyny a lot of racism and it's very disturbing and yeah and yep. ju- I mean, just pulling, pulling their merchandise like that, and denying them the sales from from that, and denying the fans is it. That's that's a big part of it to me too. It's very, it's very patriarchal reaction. Oh, oh, you're you're like a misbehaving child, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm taking away things that that you need to live. And punishing you for speaking out in an abusive, abusive, toxic work environment. Um, In, you know, ugh, just awful. And, and this, this has been the big, the big story all week. And WWE is very much trying to control the narrative. But what they don't seem to get is that your fans aren't stupid. Yeah, I mean everybody can see through it. It's it's so obvious. And it's it's annoying when you know going back to Vince's uh interview with Pat McAfee, which is still a good interview that people should go watch. Vince doesn't seem to, to understand that his critics aren't the dirt sheet writers. His critics are his fans who are paying the money and who are not happy with what they're seeing. And you're only going to be able to milk Saudi princes for so long, Vince, before they stop being entertained by you. Yeah. Well, and it's not just it's not just fans. It's this entire audience of mm-hmm. people, fans and not. I mean, wrestling fans for sure, but maybe not fans of WWE wrestling. But I mean, that is how you make any of your money is through your audience. And, you know, as you just said, like there's, there's some of that that Vince doesn't worry about because he's taking all of that Saudi blood money and thinks that, you know, because of that propping him up, he can keep doing whatever he wants. And right now he can, but I mean, what it's just, it's just really sad and horrifying and many other things, but I just, Yep, and this is another reason why everyone should stop watching WWE. Yeah. Don't watch their weekly program. 
unsub from Peacock. I'm going to stay subbed until SummerSlam because that's the deal I made with myself. Um, plus, I actually want to support Peacock's platform. That's another matter entirely. Um, I want to support good platforms. Peacock's a pretty decent platform. But I'm not watching their stuff on there. Um, I didn't even really watch the fullness of the last pay-per-view. I watched bits and pieces of it. And sorry, but this is this is overshadowing a lot of good stuff that WWE is doing because they don't seem to figure out how to book a complete wrestling show. And they have three hours of Raw, two hours of SmackDown, two hours of NXT 2.0, and one hour of NXT Next Level. And they can't seem to figure out how to book a wrestling show. So we're going to end this with something positive out of this. Because the big problem here is that Sasha and Naomi are frustrated as everyone else who's ever held those titles is with the direction of the women's tag titles. We think that AEW should definitely have women's tag titles. They have a big enough women's division. They have enough women to cover it and still have major feuds going on around the women's world title and the T and the TBS title and still have other feuds that have nothing to do with titles. They have the, they have a properly sized women's division. There's a lot that can be done with it, but I think that AEW needs to develop more before they introduce tag titles. And so what I want to do is I want to, I want to just put some ideas out there and we'll kind of go uh, back and forth. So I'm just going to, this is completely, we haven't written this out. This is not planned. Very little of the show is planned. <laughs> <laughs> I write the notes in about 15 minutes. And so I'm just going to say the first thing I think they need to do in AEW is before they have tag titles, they need to establish long-running women's tag teams. And I think there are already some really good things that they had started with that. They need to get back to separate Ty Conti from Sammy Guevara, because I'm not entertained by that. <laughs> and just have Ty J be your first full-time women's tag team and have them spending their time challenging other women to tag team matches. That's the first thing I think we should do. Start with Ty J because I think they're great. Emily, what's the next thing that AEW should do to establish a proper women's tag division? So, I actually think they should do another um, women's uh, tag uh, what what did they call it before when they did it and they had those uh, medals that they won? Um, I'm blanking on this. They should do another tournament like that. Um, and I would actually like to, to see it lead to, you know, the, the first belt. I would actually get to the belt way faster than I, than, yeah. than what you're saying, Anne, but I, it was I, the deadly draw. <clears throat> okay. Um, it, was run, it was won by Diamante and, and Ivalice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I had hoped that that was going to lead to like a full division and 
about um and it didn't and i don't really know why i don't know enough about what has been going on with the because i know kenny was doing a lot with the women's division but that was really affected by covid um both because of japanese wrestlers and because frankly a lot of the women did not want to take a risk i mean a lot of the wrestlers in general didn't want to take risks with covid but it seemed like a lot of the women were uh you know following a lot of the safety stuff uh more strictly Mm -hmm. and i think that kind of set covid set the women's division behind but now they can really like start start to build this I think that they need to establish additional tag teams out of a second deadly draw tournament. Mm-hmm. And then bear with me for a moment. Do a second tournament after that for the title. I think I want build up and I think the build up can be done quickly. I think this should be a feature of the women's division. I think it should be a feature of what they're doing. I think that we could have tag titles by the time we get to All Out. Which is really only three months away. Hmm. Yeah. So I think that after they finish up with the Owen Hart Cup, that they could transition into this quickly. They have the women on the excuse me, they have the women on the roster to make this happen. And they have the creative booking and drive behind it. So it's definitely a thing that could be done. Um, I just kind of wish that they would do it. And I, and I think they should have been pushing this from the beginning. Now, I also understand, and this is something that the women in AEW themselves have said, one of the reasons why the women's division languished quite a bit for the first couple of years was because most of the women were still learning how to wrestle on TV because they'd only ever done indie shows. And yeah. They will tell you that wrestling for a camera and for a for a multi-camera shot versus wrestling on an indie show is a very different thing. Yeah. So Well, and I know. think that's why they were their plan originally was to rely on a lot of the Japanese talent because they those women had experience um, mm-hmm. you know, on camera for many different promotions. And it's yeah, it's just unfortunate the the way that the timing of everything happened. Um, but it needs the the women's tag division and women's tag team belts needs to happen as soon as possible, and it would really help with the the lack of time that uh, women on the show have been getting, which I honestly think as they've as they've been doing more um promos has gotten worse and you know they they have to work within the time limits of what they have with tnt and tbs and so tag team wrestling is a great way to get more more women airtime yep so it's also just practical in that sense and there was, you know, there's a really great case to be made. We talked last year for 2021, the best match of the year was Lights Out, 
Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa. Best match of the year. Second best match of the year, and I talked about this rewatching this match uh, last episode, was Penelope Ford and the Bunny versus Ty J. Yeah, it was really good. It was a really, really good, you know, and again, you got you get me you get me to like two kind of deathmatch style matches, which are not my favorite thing to watch. <laughs> but you have the talent and there's some there's something that can be done there, and you can look at the failure of WWE to actually handle the women's tag belts successfully, which is a shame because again, in the early days of the pandemic, Bailey and Sasha carrying those belts to the golden role models, and Bailey as the SmackDown women's champion. And Sasha, uh, for a brief time, is the Raw Women's Champion. For a brief time, Sasha and Bailey held all the belts. It was really good. Um, they were carrying WWE through the pandemic. They were making WWE programming watchable during the pandemic because they were being featured on every show. They were ki- they were just killing it because Bailey and Sasha, if they're in a match together, are incapable of having a bad match. They're just—it's not possible. It's not fucking possible. You throw in the mix with that. Oscar and Kyrie uh, Sane were a big part of this. Again, not possible to have a bad match with those four names. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how bad the creative is; those four know how know how to put on a show. Um, and it was really, really good. So watching this all kind of fall apart again over the last two years has been really upsetting. And tag team wrestling is brilliant. It's it's one of the best forms of wrestling. And you, you go back, and, you know, can do it again. You go back to the 1980s. You go back to the Rock and Roll Express versus the Midnight Express. You go back to the, the pop that you'd get. That's why it's called a Road Warrior pop mm, from the Road yeah. Warriors showing up. Right. You, know, you, you go back to... Uh, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, uh, both as just you know part of the Four Horsemen and also as the Brainbusters for a brief time in WWF, and even recent history, is there a better single match in recent history than DIY versus FTR? Or sorry, the revival at that time. By the way, Tommaso Ciampa, get out of your contract and reform your tag team with Johnny Gargano and go fight, go fight the revival forever. Go fight FTR forever. So yeah, um, this is a missed opportunity all the way around. All right, we've been going for about ninety minutes. Uh, this has been a yes. long show. Yes. So let's let's wrap this up. Um, we hope you enjoyed uh, episode twenty nine of Anna and Emily Wrestle Podcast. If you did, you can find us on Twitter at Anne Emily Pod. We're going to be doing uh, more stuff with that Twitter. We did a little bit this week, um, but we're still both very tired. Our jobs are very busy, and we do this for fun. Uh, we will be back next week for episode 30. It has a zero ending it, so you know it's an important episode. Can you believe 30 <laughs> episodes of the show? Can you oh, believe it? What's the show going to be like in its dirty 30s? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Probably we'll probably we'll we'll do a, a, a shot by shot retelling of our eight star match. So <laughs> nope, nope, that's too good. We're not giving that away for free. Um, you can follow the host. You can follow Emily at eight bit Emily eight the number on Twitter. Have you recovered completely from moving and buying a house? Uh, I I have recovered from some things, but not everything. <laughs> mm. 
And you can follow me at Anne underscore Elise. And you can also check out all of our other shows on the Q Girls Network. You can check out our new TV and movie podcast, View for Fun, at uh, View FF Podcast on Twitter. We're going to be on all of your major podcasting apps soon enough. And we did our first episode uh, last week with Sofra Shea and Dia talking about the TV shows and movies that influenced us and influenced our taste. We'll be back next month with that, with that show. But we also have Anime Sweater, which you can find at Anime Sweater Pod. And we also have Q for Fun, which is our video game uh, uh, Heroes of the Storm podcast, which can be found at Q for Fun also on Twitter. I also want to shout out to Wicked Kitten's Gore podcast, since we will be shouting that pod- that podcast out every place we go, because everyone should be listening to Gore. It's one of the best shows out there. If you like horror, if you want to know more about horror, if you want really good content about horror, or if you just want to be, you want it confirmed for you that all clowns are evil. <laughs> which is very true. Um, and you can email us. We, uh, we have our email, which never gets any emails, uh, at a and e wrestlepod at gmail.com. I might have to change that email sometime and, you know, make it, you know, something people will actually remember and send us emails to. And we'd like to give a big shout out to our most recent follower on Twitter. I'm always amazed when people follow us who are bigger than us and we haven't followed them first. But recently, the British Wrestling Review uh, uh, has chosen to follow us, along with NodiQ.com, which has a nice, fancy blue checkmark next to it. Well, um, thank you. And the podcast Wrestling Windown is also following us, a, which is a female-founded podcast based in Las Vegas to get dedicated to professional wrestling and wine. Um, oh, awesome. We love you. We love you all. Uh, thank you so much for the follow. Kisses. Thank you so much for listening to to our girly podcast. Because uh, there's nothing more girly than pro wrestling. Oh, I know. It's the I girliest know. thing you can do. I know. Just girl, just girly things. <laughs> yep. So. <sighs> yeah, it's pretty. It's it's pretty good time. Um. And that's gonna do it. I. I think, I think Emily, it's time for us to send the crowd home, home happy. Uh, so if you if you wanted to, um, we'll just we'll just get to that. Um, then, without further ado, we'd like to bid you all adieu and say goodbye and good night. Bang. <laughs>